Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with yet another episode. Very excited to bring you another guest and another great interview. This is getting to be a lot of fun, and uh, I've really enjoyed, you know, all the interviews that I've had, catching up with old friends, meeting new friends. It's just been fantastic, and I hope that you guys have been enjoying it by the the number of plays I'm getting, I'm going to have to think that you are. So thank you for taking the time to give me a chance, give my guests a chance and listen to what they have to say. And thank you for coming back week after week and enjoying a new episode. So I was going to have an episode come out on Saturday, but uh, time restraints did not allow for that. So I will be bringing you that episode in a couple of days as a special release episode. And uh, we'll be talking with uh, an old friend and a brand new friend, my first uh, three person podcast interview, which was a lot of fun. And, uh, and you'll be seeing that, like I said, in a couple of days. Uh, right now, as I'm recording this intro, it is Saturday. And tonight I have the Lost 80s live concert off of Fremont Street here in Las Vegas. And I'm very excited about that. I went last year, there were 16 bands this year, I believe it's 15. Uh, Berlin, unfortunately, is the band that will not be there this year, but there's some other new surprises. Uh, Tommy Two-Tone will be there doing Jenny, I would imagine. Um, interesting story about that song. I used to work for an inventory company, and one early morning, I'm trying to remember, I think it was in Colorado Springs, we were doing uh, inventory at an art, uh, Michael's Arts and Crafts. And it's probably, I want to say, you know, six in the morning sometime, we're, we're just kind of waking up. But we started the inventory, and they wanted us all to count the plastic flowers, just all gang up and get the plastic flowers done. I don't know why, but that's what they wanted us to do. And they were playing this, uh, I don't know if it was an 80s station or if they just had like 80s music pipe fed in or whatever. But we're starting to count, you know, one, two, three, and then Jenny comes on. So, of course, we're all going one, two, three, eight, six, seven, five, damn it. And then we stop and then we try starting and we just gave up and we stood there while the entire song played. And then as soon as it was done, we started counting again because there's just no way it just throws you off completely. Uh, so that's uh, that's a bit of fun related to that song. I remember um, Missing Persons was one of the headliners. And then the final headliner was a flock of seagulls because they had been the only band to win a Grammy. Uh, of all the bands. And uh, so they uh, played a few songs, some of which I did not know, but enjoyed very much. The whole the whole day was great. But it's so weird because I was too young to go to shows in the, the early 80s when most of these bands were at, at their heyday. And it's so strange to me to see just a singer and a keyboard player. And sometimes the music is playing and the keyboard player isn't even doing anything because it's all programmed. And, uh, you know, the singer's dancing around, but there's really like, it's, it's weird because there's really not that same energy on stage as the bands that come out as full bands and have, you know, drummer, bass player, guitarist, keyboardist, you know, all playing the whole time. And then they'll go to a, a band that's, you know, again, just like a singer and a keyboard player or, you know, maybe a guitar player or drummer. Uh, it's such a weird thing because the energy is just so strange to me. I'm not used to that in a live venue. It seems to me that if they would have recorded the albums that way, they still would have toured with a band, you know, something to make the stage a little more exciting as it went. And then having like, you know, a two-person band and then a full band and then another two-person band come on, that second two-person band, kind of it kind of deflates the order of things. So if they would have been able to schedule it where they had, you know, the band's numbers of members grew as the show went on from like two people to three people to five people or whatever as, as it progressed, 
that might have worked better. But then the scheduling of, you know, this band playing versus that band playing might not have been as well. I don't know. I, I just remember um, it felt really strange to be at a show where that was going on. And uh, it's definitely different than the energy of going to, like, a, say, a, a concert with a rock band where, you know, it's just all energy The you got five or six musicians up there just driving the whole time. And, uh, you know, you can look at any part of the stage and see something going on where here you've just got, you know, a couple of things to watch going on. And sometimes there's audio and no motion. And it's just, I don't know, it's just weird. But I'm looking forward to going tonight. Um, had a lot of fun last year. I didn't do any of the meet and greets last year, but I want to do that uh, tonight. So we'll see if they have that again. Hopefully they will. And uh, what else is going on? So then I'm headed to uh, Arizona and I'm going on. Uh, if you guys uh, listen to Michael McPerson's interview a couple of months back or a few months back, uh, he uh, does the Arizona Sedona uh, Night Vision UFO tour. And uh, I'll be taking that on Monday night and doing a recording, my first remote recording. I bought one of the uh, Tascam handheld recorders that seems to hold up pretty well. Uh, I, I used a, uh, a Zoom in the past on a project, and I used a Tascam on a project. Uh, but this one is uh, is really nice and uh, got a really good sound. So I'll be curious to see how well it picks things up. And uh, if the conversation flows and it's interesting, whether we see anything or not, um, maybe I'll bring you that. Because, you know, it's it's like you could do the tour, but you can't you know, these things don't work like they're not actors. They don't work on command. So you can go out and maybe you'll see nothing or you can go out. And maybe you'll see things that you don't know what they are. And, uh, you know, I certainly believe that there's more than just us and this one tiny dot in the entire universe. I have a ridiculous time believing that we're the only thing out there. And I've certainly seen some things that I can't explain. And uh, I don't know, maybe some of that is domestic things that are advanced technology that we've created that uh, have not been released to the public, but they have to test flight them. Uh, maybe they are off world things. I don't know. All I know is that the things that I've seen, I cannot definitively say it is this or it is that. So it just remains as a question mark in my mind. So I'm very excited. Uh, Michael's such a good friend of mine and Carla, who was also on recently, his wife. Uh, they're both such good friends of mine and I'm looking forward to spending some time with them and going out and checking out this tour because I've not done it before. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, that's pretty much what's going on for me. I finally finished Haunted Holidays, Deadly Christmas 3. The album is uploaded to my distributor and will be released October 18th. Um, unfortunately, because there are only nine songs on the album, the distributor does not allow me to do a preview song, which uh, if you have 10 or more songs, then you can release one a week ahead of time, and it will uh, it will launch kind of as a single. And uh, But unfortunately, I'm not able to do that because there's only nine songs on the album. So I'm thinking about doing like a, a pre-release on maybe SoundCloud or something like that, or, or maybe YouTube. So as the, as the weeks move on, I'll make the decision on that. And of course, I'll let you guys know. But October 18th is the definitive release date for the album. You'll be able to get it on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Google Play, uh, you know, all, the, all the relevant places. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm very happy with this album. And uh, thanks to my friend Randy Rohrbach, who was another one of my earlier guests on the show and will definitely be coming back when we can schedule it. Uh, he is my second set of ears for mixing. He, uh, he's got such a, 
a great sense. And especially because he and I have known each other so long, he's listened to a lot of the stuff that I've done. And he understands what I want out of a project, whether it be a mental sauna project or a haunted holidays project. He knows what I like in my sound. So when I send him something and I say, you know, really, all I want to know is, is the dialogue buried in the mix? Is it out too out front in the mix? Like, have I seated it well within the mix? And uh, he always comes back with with some amazing things. And and he was he said I was really close on this one. There were a couple of tweaks that he suggested, which I of course did take him up on. And and it's just those little subtleties sometimes that can make the biggest difference in a mix. And I remember uh, listening to a uh, or, or watching a video on mastering audio because you know even though I've been doing this for a long time, I still like to kind of see if there's more that I can learn that I don't know. New tools come out, things get easier, and. Um, there was something that the that the guy did in the video and he's like, you can't even hear the difference in the sound now, but when you do this three steps from now, this is going to make a big difference. And as I started to dissect and, you know, you get to that step where it does make a difference and then you go back and you see, well, here's what would have happened if he hadn't have done that. You really start to fine tune the process and you you really know how to make decisions really from a second nature standpoint. You're not even consciously thinking about, oh, I need to do this. You just do it. And so uh, I think it's also easy, though, to get lost in that. So I like to use uh, I, I like to use Randy's services uh, for that because he he really has a great ear for it. And uh, every time uh, he and I have worked together on something, it's just been fantastic. And I think that my projects benefit greatly from Randy's knowledge and, and his willingness to take the time to do that. So thank you very much, Randy. I, I greatly appreciate it if you're not sick of me telling you that already. But today... We have another musician connection from my past. Uh, Christopher Vallon and I have known each other for a very, very long time. We were in a band together back when uh, he had just graduated high school. I was in my senior year, uh, just about to start my senior year when uh, I was uh, offered an opportunity to audition for a band that he started called Joker's Wild, which was a progressive metal band, uh, which was very popular in Colorado Springs at the time. If you guys remember my interview with Travis Leroy, he was the bass player of a band called Salem Spade. We did some shows together and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was just a great time in music and the Colorado Springs scene was so fantastic. A uh, lot of great bands. The music that to me, I still enjoy listening to. You know, and it was it's of course, it's all transferred from uh, analog cassette tape because we didn't have CDs at the time where we were just starting to get CDs at the time. But they were certainly beyond the reach of anything that we could afford recording on. Uh, so I got to know Chris through the band and we just stayed friends after all these years. And he lived uh, not that far from me in California the uh, the time that I had moved out there. So we got together a couple times. Wonderful family, very talented. Uh, all of them just absolutely wonderful. And uh, I was really excited to have him on the show. He has uh, he sends me his books. And, uh, you know, I say on the show a lot of times, and this is very true, that I really don't have the time to read. But Chris's stories are typically uh, short stories that are they're just so engaging. You just you fly through them in, in a, you know, a matter of a half an hour, an hour, uh, some of them a little bit longer. But uh, they're very fun, quick reads, and I really enjoy them. So it's easy to just say, okay, I'm gonna, I can block off enough time to uh, to read this. And then when I do, I don't want to put it down. And then I wish it was longer because the story gets so engrossing, or you know, you really start to care about the characters or what the situation is. So it's amazing how compelling you can make a short story. And you can grip a reader and really engage them and get them invested in the situation or a character. And honestly, I really think that Chris is a master of that. I don't think I could do that. I mean, the, the stuff that I've written 
And hopefully you guys will see that if my book ever comes out. Uh, but it's, it's something that it really takes a skill to be able to grip people quickly. And if you only have a 20 page story or a 25 page story, you don't have time to not get people engaged because the story is going to be over fast. Whatever's happening is going to happen very quickly. You don't get, you know, a, a 50 pages of background on a character so that you get to know them. You just, you just have to love them right away. And the way that he writes, you do. And it's a real, real skill that he has honed. And I personally, I'm one of those people that I, as a writer myself, I can really appreciate that. And I'm sure when you guys go read his stuff that you will too. So let me just stop babbling and bring Chris on because uh, I think you're going to enjoy this interview. And if you're a fan of Batman, we talk about that too. Here he is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring on my next guest. We have played in a band together. We've talked philosophy together. We've stayed up late nights playing Risk into the wee hours of the morning. My friend and author, Chris Fallon. Chris, how are you today? Great. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, my friend. You know, I realized something just before I called you. Uh, we actually met in, I, I think it was late August of 1989 so it's been 30 yep. years i thought the same thing <laughs> when you were gonna call i was thinking the same thing it's been exactly 30 years basically yeah it really has and i gotta tell the story of the day that we met because <laughs> i i still think that this is one of the weirdest days of my life okay <laughs> i i was getting ready to audition for the band joker's wild which you were a founder member of mm -hmm. and uh, a really good progressive metal band in colorado springs and we, uh, you auditioned me at uh, the bass player for a band called Havoc's House. And it was out in like the boonies in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And you guys had some, something happened. Like I got there and you guys were there and I met you and then something happened and you all had to leave. And so I'm just there setting up my drums, which at the time took forever because it was a fortress. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then the, the bass player's dad came in he's like, you can't be here. And I'm like, I got this audition. He's like, you can't be in the house. And so I like, just sat out at my car for 45 minutes waiting for you guys to get back. <laughs> I couldn't set up my kit. I couldn't do anything. It was just uh, a, a kind of a crazy day. And then, uh, and then we did the audition and you guys hired me, which was great. But, uh, yeah, yeah that was definitely just like, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was, uh. Yeah, that was weird. I, don't, I apologize again for that. Oh no, <laughs> no. Years later, but <laughs> yeah, I'm still but, upset. Uh, yeah, yeah. It uh, yeah. He, uh, I had some similar experiences with him. So, <laughs> yeah, I remember our, yeah. our rhythm guitarist Brian Delay did too. And you know uh, what's really fascinating is is watching like you know when we were kids because we were like you know 17 to 19 age range back then, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's really fascinating watching what's happened to everyone. Since then, you know, uh, that that bass player, Doug, he went on to uh, to be like an upright bass player doing a lot of classical stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Brian DeLay, our, our rhythm guitarist, went on to be a professor. You're a teacher. Uh, you know, who knew that all these yeah. different direct because we all thought we would be on tour in a tour bus yeah. together and, you know, <laughs> living out of hotels and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We, we should all be, uh, you know. Uh, probably dead from overdoses by now, shouldn't we? <laughs> well, most of us, yeah. You know, you know the, the coolest story, though, that I, I can tell about Joker's Wild Days was we played on Friday the 13th at a place called Renner's Bar in downtown mm -hmm. Colorado Springs. 
And I remember the the first and the third band, because we played second, and the first and the third band had had traded singers. And, oh. the, and the singer for the opening band, or the, yeah, the opening band was the sound engineer. And this big fight broke out between the two singers. We weren't sure if we were even going to play or not that night. And it was just this big mess. And I remember driving Brian home and we flipped on the radio and Turn the Page came on by Bob Seger. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's this perfect song about how exhausting the gigging life is. And, <laughs> yeah. all that. and I'm like, we just looked at each other and we're like, oh, this is the perfect end to the night yeah. now. You know, we got through it. But that was a great yeah. show. And I have some really great memories uh, playing with you guys. It was such an honor to be invited in and um, to be brought in and part of the creative process. It, it was mm -hmm. a lot of fun. And I don't really think that people that have never been in a band really understand what that kind of camaraderie is like. No, no, they don't. I don't think so either. You still play now and then, don't you? Yeah, occasionally, but I haven't been in a band in many years now. Yeah, same here. I wouldn't mind doing it again, but it would have to be it would have to be the right circumstances for me to invest in it, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, at my age I it would have to be very special situation. Yeah. I think. And, I, and I don't mean it to sound arrogant because it's not like I'm better than anybody else, but it's it's yeah. more along the lines of you know, as we get older, we, we decide where our time is most valuable. And, and, you know, it's, it's more important to capitalize on enjoying the time that we spend than it used to be when we were 17 and 18. Cause if you didn't like something, you got through it, you went to the next thing. But now it's like, I kind of feel like I want to soak up every minute of, of happiness that I can. Yeah. That's well put. Well put. Thanks. And I, I feel even older now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but we could walk down memory lane all night. Let's yeah. talk about this uh, this new book that you have out. Do you, which one do you want to start with? Um, how about the magazine that's coming out next week? Okay, now I got to tell you, and thank you for sending me the preview copy, mm -hmm. guys. Th this this is a stunning piece of artwork. I've never seen anything like it. Now, in all fairness, I don't look at a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the the visual component is so impressive to me. It's it's a it's the the comic books that we that we read in the seventies, but done in today's time with the quality of graphics that we have, with the uh, the ingenuity and the creativity that we have nowadays. It's visually stunning. It's very intelligent. How did all this come together? Well, it started a couple years ago. I. Uh... <clears throat> There's another art, art, author sorry, named uh, Artie Cabrera, and uh, I was a fan of his work. I had read a couple of his stories and really liked them. And one of his short stories that I had read was called Johnny Ranger's Space Detective, and it took place in a place called Gravity City that he invented. And it's kind of a, if you could combine a gritty 1970s New York type thing and uh old cop shows from the seventies, like Starsky and Hutch and, and, uh, Kojak and that kind of thing. And then throw in some eighties aesthetic, <laughs> like streets of fire. Right. Um, and then, and then put, put that in outer space and, you know, make it a city like in Blade Runner or, or, or judge dread or that kind of, you know, future mm -hmm. megalopolis. So he, so, um, he created this place and then, um, he eventually we, we worked together on another project. He asked me if I'd be interested in working on Gravity City with him. And I was thrilled because I, I just loved the whole concept. So he, uh, 
talked to him a lot about it and we worked things out and we were going to work on some novels together that took place in Gravity City and then an anthology that uh, actually came out last year called Once Upon a Time in, Gradu- in Gravity City. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it, that one has, I think, about 10 stories um, that take pl- all that take place there. And then uh, er- earlier this year, I'm trying to remember, I think maybe it was at the beginning of the year sometime, he was talking to somebody else he knew and they suggested that he make a kind of a magazine because he has such great um, graphic designer skills and kind of promote the, the whole world that he had created and, and so forth. And we started discussing that and we ended up it going in a little bit of a different direction. So what we did was it, it what it turned into kind of a combination of a uh, star log magazine uh, combined with heavy metal and uh, old comic books, so we have uh, all there. That's that's really cool. Some some short stories, some uh, articles, some interviews. We uh, interviewed um, Mazel, who works uh, the project coordinator for uh, for Fractured FX, and he worked on movies. You know, done the practical effects, not not the digital effects, but mm-hmm. they do the practice. You know, the real blood and Right. Guts and make for movies like the Aquaman and Westworld and, and uh, Swamp Thing and all kinds of cool stuff. I love that we're still doing that, that we haven't yeah. just took, you know, everything over to the digital side. I mean, I really think yeah. that practical still has so much value. Oh, yeah. And it's so cool. It's so cool. Uh, you know, I've gotten to go and and tour the place a couple of times and it's just amazing. Oh, I bet. The stuff that you see when, when they're working on it. And um, we have... Uh, an interview with uh, um, a bunch of other, you know, people that are involved in different cool things, and so um, that was that was the core of the magazine. But then, what we also wanted to add a lot of cool artwork, um, make it a little bit like heavy metal magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, and the ads. The ads was the other thing. We wanted to give it the feel of old. Uh, <laughs> Magazines and comic books from the seventies with the uh, uh, what do you call those little uh, <laughs> those little monkey monkeys? The sea monkeys, those yeah, little, yeah, those yeah. kinds of ads or the Charles Atlas ads where you know get kicked in in the face with sand at the beach because you're such a weakling. So right. you know you can get you know listen to this record or read this book and you'll be able to defend yourself. Oh yeah, and, I forgot uh, about those. Yeah, and uh, and the X-ray glasses and, and yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So we have a bunch of. Uh, fake ads along those lines and we've got some humor in there and it's just uh it's hard to explain without seeing it but yeah it really works it we're, it all works together it's basically on the one hand it's nostalgic and on the other hand it's just cutting edge graphics and design so i think it it's just it i can't believe how good it came out um Artie deserves most of the credit i I was an editor and a contributor and, and I was in on a lot of the decision-making, but Artie's really the driving force behind it. He's amazing. But it sounds like it was a real organic progression from the original idea to where it came out that, you know, right. and, and that's, that's what I love about working with other people. And, you know, as, as I go back to the band example, when you're working alone and you're responsible for everything, you make a decision, you second guess it 10 or 12 times, then you go back mm-hmm. to the original idea, then you go back to one of your alternates and you drive yourself nuts. When you're working with other people, there's a different um, there's a different way that it develops. It 
because it's bouncing from one person to another. I might say something and you go, oh, you know what? Yeah, we could do that, but this. And it just expands. And when when it's good and everyone's in the right zone, then you get an amazing this. When yep. you start to too attach to your idea and your idea having to be the thing that is used, that's when it starts to fragment a little bit. Right, right. I agree. And yeah, Artie and I really work well together. I think that we we get along really well. And even though we've never met in real life, only uh, <laughs> well, we've only uh, corresponded over the phone and on uh, um, on online and stuff. But right. we, we really uh, mesh well, I think. Well, that's so important. And that, I think, is really the beauty of, of the technology of today's world is that we don't have to be in the same room to create something magical like we did in the old days. Yeah. Oh my God. I've already started calling them the old days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are. <laughs> well, they are. Yeah. yeah. But, but I think, I think that's what gripped me too, is my mind sort of had initially a, a moment of, I'm reading a comic book where Mad Magazine, but mm-hmm. a space age version of Mad Magazine, but so modernized that even kind of beyond where we're at in time now, And I think my mind was like, but it's just like the comics, but no, it's something completely different. (laughs) And I really like that. I I like that, that I recognize that immediately, but I didn't recognize it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I'm glad you had that reaction because that's the kind of thing you're looking for. Excellent. And what's the expectation of how often issue will come out? Well, uh, we're planning on quarterly, you know, every three months. Yeah. Yeah, We'd like to do it monthly, but you know, it's just too exhausting (laughs) to try to do something like that. Even if you were doing it full time, just the magazine, yeah. I can't imagine how you would get an issue like that to that level mm-hmm. done on a monthly basis. No, yeah, it would be impossible. I think even just coordinating contributors to put in the stories and do the interviews mm-hmm. alone would be enough to fill up a full time job. Added, right. you know, added to that, yeah, that would be too much. Yeah, definitely. But no, kudos. I, I, I can't wait for everyone to see it. I, I yeah. can't imagine anybody looking at that and not just being blown away. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But let me let me ask you because you you had mentioned the uh, once upon a time in in Gravity City. Now I I get a little lost because I have no perception of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just gone, and uh, <laughs> so. But I know I, I've read a lot of your work, but trying to place what came out when or in what uh, anthology gets a little blurry for me. But you had a story yeah. in uh, Once Upon a Time in Gravity City, didn't you? Yes. Yes. It was called the Reaper. That's right. Uh, it was about a someone throwing people off of the roofs of buildings or throwing them out of the roofs of buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> criminals. You know, it's yeah. a good kid story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> PG thirteen. But I, you know, we talked about this a little bit the other day. I, but what I really love about your writing style is, you know, authors write in first person, third person, whatever. But you have this magical way of making me feel when I read your work as if you and I are sitting at a table sharing a beer or sitting at a fire or walking through the woods and you're just telling me a story. Like you're Uh really talking directly to me. Is that a conscious choice that you made as a writer or is that just kind of how you do it? That is a conscious choice. Uh, I appreciate you saying that um, because that's what I try to go for is, is almost like if you sat down and, just recorded a conversation like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, luckily quite a few people enjoy that like you, 
um, there are some people that it's not right for. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I get some reviews where people, you know, don't like that. But um, yeah, I like writing in first person. Um, the funny thing is, I've never, I, I never preferred first person when I'm reading, but when I'm writing, uh, I prefer first person. I, I feel like I'm better at it. So I think it's easier to write in first person because mm-hmm. you can you can relate to your character a little more directly as if you're right instead of writing outside of them. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. There are some difficulties to it. Um, I mean, you can go back and forth between different characters mm-hmm. points of view, but generally in first person, you're going to just have one care, at least one character at a time. Right. For sure. And sometimes one character through the whole story. So that can be difficult because you never, you can never have scenes from anyone else's point of view. You know, so all certain things can't happen yeah, in the story. That's kind of painting yourself into a corner a little bit. Yeah. Now, if you tried to go around that and say, uh, okay, so this chapter is character one speaking in first person, but yeah. then you go to, let's say, your villain in chapter two, and now the villain mm-hmm. is speaking in first person. But unless you really identify that, that can get really confusing for the reader, I think. Yeah. And actually, um, the book I'm working on now does that. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm co-writing it with another author, um, Steve Bollier, and and he is doing the villain, most of the villain stuff, and I'm doing most of the hero stuff. And he's um, um, got his voice, and I've got my voice. I mean, we we still rewrite a, a little bit for each other, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it's he created one character and wrote the story about him, and and I'm doing the other character. Wow! So. So how um, does how does that work? Do you start with an outline and then you each kind of fill in your own spots? Well, in this case, <laughs> it was really uh, uh, it went down a lot of twists and turns. So um, I have a series of books called the Red Raptor Files. It's mm-hmm. uh, they're young adult novels about a superhero sidekick, or he starts out as a sidekick. Yeah, um, and. Um, I kind of see him as a combination of maybe Robin and Spider-Man in his personality. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. And yeah. And so he, um, so I wrote two books and then, um, I also wrote some short stories, um, that took place in that universe and they appeared in a couple of anthologies mm-hmm. and one of the authors in one of the, in the, uh, the other anthologies asked me if he could write a story in my universe. And I was Ooh. thrilled. I was like, yeah, that's great. I would love to see it. That's an honor. And yeah, yeah, it is. So uh, he wrote the story and then he said, what would you think about um, working with me to turn this into a novel, to make it novel length? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so I thought it, I thought it sounded like a good idea. So we started working on that. And meanwhile, I was working on the third book in the, in the novel series um, starring my, character mm-hmm. and he uh what we ended up doing was um merging the stories together so um i know it sounds crazy because it seems like it shouldn't work but it, it ended up working out really well so um we took his idea and my idea and merged them into one story and go back and forth between the two different characters until they meet and then okay. it just shows them from the different points of view and so each each chapter alternates between hero and villain and has the name of the, the uh, character who's speaking uh, 
in the chapter. So we'll say chapter one, art, chapter two, Sawyer, chapter three, art, chapter four, Sawyer. So, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. whose chapter it is. I see that. But, but do you have the, the challenge? Like when I try to write to an outline or anything, I find that uh, the basic part of the chapter starts off in, in unison with the outline. And then I just, mm-hmm. my brain goes in a different direction. I come up with something else and then the rest of my outline is messed up. So if he's writing his chapter and he just naturally kind of changes the story, you have to be ready to be on board with that when you do your chapter. Um, well, the thing is that his was pretty much done. Oh, um, when I started. So, um, I mean, his storyline, his, his outline was already done and he, he, you know, things have changed. Yeah. But, but, uh, nothing threw it so far off course that it didn't still align. Oh, okay. Uh, good. By the end. Good. So, yeah. I, I was talking about this on my podcast. I think it was with Kimber. Maybe I was talking to her off the air about, it. I don't remember, but you know, I, I'm working on my first, uh, full length novel that I've been mm-hmm. working on for years and uh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, but when I when I filmed that one day on Jason Bourne, it mm-hmm. kind of really affected my perception of the book. And then the book started taking off into a more spy thriller direction than it that it was meant to mm-hmm. intentionally. And then there's mm-hmm. bombs and there's government agencies and all this stuff <laughs> because yeah. of one day that yeah. I had this this influence. So I find that happens when I'm writing in general and try to stick to an outline. But if you guys are able to at least stay close enough to it to be in sync with each other. I could see that being a really beneficial project. Yeah. Well, one of the main reasons we decided to combine them was that I was having trouble figuring out where my novel was going to go. Um, I'm not very good about outlining. <laughs> I generally have, <laughs> I have an, I'm good at beginnings and endings, like, like a lot of people and not so good at middles. Mm. Um, so I, I was able to keep my beginning and my ending and, Basically, my middle turned out to be confronting his character. So it worked out really well that way. That's good. So how does how do you write the part where you're writing the chapters together? Um, just basically uh, have the file in Dropbox where either of us can change it. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just have to make sure we're not both doing it at the same time. Yeah. Which we could if it was in Google Docs, but we didn't start it out that way. So oh, it's basically, right. yeah. 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 And, you know, at, at least it's not like the old days of playing, uh, you know, chess through the mail where you have to you know, <laughs> mail the manuscript to him and he's going to change it and then mail it back yeah. to you. And pretty soon it's 2027. We've colonized Mars and your book's coming yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, that would be a nightmare. Yeah, I think it yeah. would. I don't have the patience yeah. for that kind of thing anymore. I've been mm-hmm. spoiled by because we grew up without all this. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say, as, as there's certain things I'm really glad I can do. I'm really glad I can do math in my head that mm-hmm. I don't need to rely on on a calculator to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad I know how to shop at a store and, and keep a budget in my head or like a rolling total without having to type it all into a calculator. Uh-huh. But at the same point, I'm so grateful that I can just reach people very quickly through text or email. I don't have to call and hope they're home and let the phone ring nine times to find out they're not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, All those things that we had to do. And uh, I, I'm grateful for the time that we live in. But at the same time, I'm really grateful I have the foundation that I built when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I think we were we were just in a time where we would still learn all those uh, essential uh, basic skills. Yeah. <laughs> when, when they were necessary. But mm-hmm. we've 
been able to live into a time when we don't necessarily need them all the time. Exactly. So it was a good, it was a good uh, transitional time, I guess. Definitely. I mean, I remember one summer and I think we, we even had our Atari by this point. So I had video games, but uh, I spent the entire summer just playing drums and reading books. That's mm-hmm. literally all I did that summer. And I loved it. Yeah. That's one of my yeah. <laughs> favorite, favorite memories looking back on my, on my youth is, uh, is really just spending the time being creative and putting everything I had into it. Yeah. You know, on yeah. one side or the other, it was good, but I am I'm excited. So do you have, do you, are you guys uh, shooting for a target date for release or is that kind of still up in the air at this point? Um, well, the plan was to get it out before now, but then I got involved in the Gravity City thing, and that kind of it kind of got put on hold. And sure. and then he he also he started a his own publishing company actually, mm. Aethon Books, and so he's been a little busy with that. And uh, so <laughs> we both of us kind of got caught up in other things, and the book is probably eighty percent done and kind of just waiting for us to. So I've been getting to it when I can, but. Mm. Um, I was hoping by the end of this year, so possibly, possibly the end of this year. Well, and it's tough because you know you're you're a teacher, so you have a beyond full time job. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know it's it's not just that you work forty hours a week plus driving time. It's that you have to grade papers, you have to do you know you have to come up with tests and all this extra mm-hmm. work that teachers have to do. Yeah, and as you know, I appreciate that that people put that much into educating our our future generations. But for you to have your own life in a job like that is tough because you have a family yeah. and you're a writer yeah. and you're, yeah. you're a very busy, full, beyond full-time guy. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder how I do it. I don't know. Yeah. Do you, do you tend to just kind of write when everyone else is asleep and you stay up and, and the house is quiet and you can focus? Cause I live alone, so I don't have to deal with any yeah. of that. Yeah. I, I, I'm not very good in the morning and um tend to be very creative late at night so mm-hmm. <clears throat> i tend to write after everyone else goes to bed and uh, sometimes get too carried away which makes getting up in the morning difficult but <laughs> that's yeah. my best time to write so right. definitely in the in the summer summertime and spring break and times like that when i have some days off i'll i'll just immediately revert back to my natural rhythms and and start staying up really late and sleeping in the morning sure yeah i don't know how many times i've been working in the studio whether i'm writing or mixing or whatever and just i realize that between the blinds i can see the cracks of sunlight coming in and i think Mm -hmm. i have not moved from this chair in five hours yeah right you know because you get in that zone where it's kind of like when you're at a movie theater and you're watching a movie that you're really invested in and you don't realize that you're in a movie theater. You don't realize you're in a body that's sitting in a chair because you're <laughs> like the whole world is this movie. And yeah, then in yeah. that lull where they kind of give you a little break, maybe before the final battle or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of come out of it and you go, whoa. Yeah. And you see the <laughs> edges exactly of the screen. Again. Yeah. I find creativity to be exactly that same way. When I'm in the zone, the world around me does. It's not even there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But that's good because that's when you really pump out the stuff that it just comes to you. You're almost, do you feel sometimes like you're more of a vessel than the driving force behind it? I do. I, I sometimes feel like uh, it just kind of flows out of me. Yeah. And I'm not really consciously thinking about it. It's just my fingers are moving on the keyboard and it's uh, showing up on the page and my brain's not conscious. Like um, whatever I am, I don't know, me is not consciously thinking of these words. It's just kind of just 
shooting out through my fingers. <laughs> right. <know>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel almost more like a conduit sometimes than I do the creative. Yeah. But since there's nobody here dictating it to me, I, I just feel like I can take creativity rights yeah. and say I did. Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay to put my name on it and collect the royalties. I'm good with that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the red Raptor series, but first you just had another story that came out in an anthology called the switcheroo, mm-hmm. which I just finished reading last night. Uh, and, and I loved it. What, uh, now this takes place in gravity city. Um, or it doesn't, it does, it does not intentionally take place in the gravity city universe, but I did purposely write it so that it could. <laughs> it, it, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess I just that, assumed yeah. that, you know, because yeah, yeah. why wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it 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 could easily be in the Gravity City universe. Mm-hmm. Um I just um I didn't I didn't make any references to it or anything. I love shared universes personally. I love when I love when uh, different authors produce things in the same universe or um, you find out that a character from one story is showing up in a, another character's story and things like that. I've always loved that since I was a kid. Yeah. Know. I, I kind of wish that there was more crossover that made sense. You know, yeah. I, I feel like whenever I see it done, a lot of times it's kind of forced, like putting Howard the Duck in Guardians of the Galaxy because they oh, were playing yeah. 80s music. And I'm still yeah. kind of like, <laughs> yeah. where did that storyline go? Like, yeah. You know, they yeah. they set this up and then they just left it. Uh, yeah, I think it was just a joke, a one one off joke. It might have been, but I kind of got excited yeah. that there might be, you mm-hmm. know, a continuation to the Howard the Duck story. Yeah. Uh, but but I think one thing that I felt was kind of forced was in one of the the uh, Star Wars was it the prequels? I think the third one, mm-hmm. ET was in it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's not you know, there's no real cross between the two. If it was a galaxy far far away and. I, I don't know. I kind of felt like that yeah. was just a forced kind of thing. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. Yeah. But I but I do think it's cool, especially when you're writing with your friends or or with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe colleagues that you don't know. And they're, you know, like your friend was yeah. like, hey, I'd love to write something in your universe. That's a really yeah. cool feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a big compliment. Mm-hmm. Now, can you tell us a little bit, uh, you know, I don't want, it, it's such a fine line between giving too much away and, you know, enough to make people interested, but not too yeah. much to where they don't need to read the story. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So could you uh, give us a little synopsis of the switcheroo? Well, uh, it's, it appears in an anthology called beyond the stars, rocking space, uh, beyond the stars is a series of anthologies put out by, um, Patrice Fitzgerald and, uh, edited by Ellen Campbell. And they are, they put out some really good anthologies with a lot of good stories, a lot of good art authors, some well-known, some brand new, and they get a lot of tons of submissions and uh, and uh, have to, you know, sift through them all and choose them. And so uh, a few years ago, I was I submitted a story about a bounty hunter. And it was called uh, <clears throat> um, an old fashioned lust story. Mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> um, that one. Yeah. And um, and it got into one of them. It was on in uh, Beyond the Stars Galaxy's Edge. And then it was chosen um, to be in the best of Beyond the Stars last year. They were reprinted it in oh, their nice. best of anthology. So I thought when I when I saw that they were going to be doing another one this year, um, I decided to submit a story. And so I I uh, I decided to go back to the same character because I I kind of enjoyed writing in that voice in that bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes I, I like writing people that are really different than I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like very different than I am. And it's so, it's so fun to do someone like that, you know, kind of a tough guy. It's a little bit, uh, almost, um, kind of film noir or, or, you know, um, old detective pulp novel type of story, but set in the future in space. It's so funny that you say that because when I when I've read when I read that I remember part of me started hearing like this reverbed out saxophone in the background and almost that <laughs> you know that film noir narration that you would get yeah. while you're looking at the guy sitting behind his desk wearing the the brimmed hat and all that. Yeah. It's so so funny that I made that connection. Oh, I'm glad you did. That's what I was going for. And and others have said that. So mm-hmm. I'm glad it, it at least works for some people cuz that's uh that's what i'm trying to do um, yeah I, I love those old detective stories and those old movies and mm-hmm. and uh but i love sci-fi is my big love so you know genre so i like to be able to combine them and i mean blade runner is my favorite movie oh okay. and in some ways that's in some ways that's um kind of a combination mm-hmm. um so my stories aren't like blade runner at all i don't think other than combining those maybe those genres right yeah but you know it's a it's a story of a bounty hunter who is really really good at his job but keeps encountering people that are better <laughs> <laughs> there's always a bigger fish yeah exactly <laughs> but was when you so when you wrote just an old-fashioned lust story was that a challenge for you because that that setting is kind of out of your norm yeah, not, not the space part or the bounty hunter part, uh-huh. but the the lust part is not something yeah. that I've experienced really a lot in your writing. It was kind of like you said, no. I want to see if I can do this. Yeah, that's a good point. I I did want to do something that was um that was a little uh, more adult than what I'd been writing. So I I've written comic books and I've written um you know young adult books and history books, but I've never written anything too adult and this one was a little yeah both of these both of these stories are about the same character and they're they're a little more adult than my usual yeah nothing nothing they're not erotica or anything like that right not even close but they are definitely more adult than what i usually write yeah it it definitely was uh was something that i would say was a few steps in that direction more than your, Mm -hmm. your normal stuff because you know typically you write about you know comic book heroes and things like that where other than more so like a playful flirtation you're Mm -hmm. really not going to have that because it's just not part of the genre really right and i think maybe i maybe to some extent i needed to get it out of my system i don't know that could be but (laughs) i think also i think we need to experiment and we need to push our boundaries because you don't really know what you're capable of doing or what might work unless you go out of your way to do it right you know and and i i like doing that musically if i just wrote the same you know piano violin stuff all the time Mm -hmm. you're not going to grow without adding something to that right right you know so no, I, I applaud you for doing it. And I think it was, I nice. thought it was very tasteful. I, there was nothing where I went, dude, this is my friend that just wrote. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. There was nothing yeah. I, that I found where I was like, okay, that's just a little weird. I don't yeah. think I could write anything like that. I don't think that that's within my boundaries because I think oh, any, yeah. anytime I've tried, it just sounds too cheesy to me. It just <laughs> yeah. sounds unrealistic and antiseptic. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I am afraid when I do it, that that's what the reaction is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when I wrote the first one, um, 
I just sent it out and started thinking, oh, what did I do? <laughs> and, then, and then when it got a good reaction, then when it, when it got chosen, I was excited. When it got chosen for the best of, I was even more excited. And right, that yeah. gave me the confidence to do it again, you know. But I was, yeah, I was terrified when I first sent it out. <laughs> well, and you know, that's really the thing that, that I don't really know how much the public thinks about this. But as artists, when we put something out into the world, it's not, you know, well, we're bearing our soul. We're putting our value of ourselves out to the world to be judged because we value oh, yeah. ourselves based on what we create, right? Right. So when you put a book out, when I put an album out, it's it's saying, here's me. Here's what I created. This all is a part of me. Now you guys are going to judge it as you're going to judge it. Mm -hmm. So when you get reviews like you know, I'm not happy that you wrote it in as you're, as if you're sitting down telling me a story, I'd rather have it in yeah. first person. I mean, you can't yeah. please everybody. There's always going to be some stupid nitpicky thing like that. That's really irrelevant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You have to have a thick skin for sure. Yeah. You're not going to change your writing style because some guy on Amazon didn't like the fact that you didn't write right. it in first per or you wrote it in first person. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just have to, you know, pay attention to the good reviews and just realize that some people aren't going to like it or some people may, may just, it's just not for them, you know, and some people are just jerks and they just like to go do that kind of stuff where they like to troll and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, you never know which one it is for sure, but. Well, I don't, you know, I don't mind people not liking what I did or, or yeah. having something constructive or helpful to say. You know, if they if they might have said something like, well, you know, the album was like, I like the idea, but the, the sound wasn't good or the mix was bad or, I, you know, it was too tinny for my ears or like mm -hmm. I, you could take that and go, OK, I really need to take this to heart and listen back and see if I agree with it and maybe modify mm -hmm. if I need to. But for somebody to just come on and go, yeah, this I just didn't like it. Yeah, that's not helpful. What didn't no. you like? And, and is, is <laughs> yeah. your feedback, you know, if you're going to take the time to leave feedback on a public forum yeah. Make it something like say, well, I didn't like it because I thought the mm -hmm. story was more for younger people or, yeah. I, you know, something that's helpful to other potential readers. But just mm -hmm. to say, I don't like it or give it a one star rating that doesn't yeah. tell anybody whether they would like the book or not. Like just, you yeah. know, if you're if you're such a critic, say something more. Yeah. And the worst review I ever got was for uh, the first Red Raptor book, uh, Sidekick, and uh, it was on Goodreads. And I actually, you know, uh, the girl that wrote the review was honest and she she said why she didn't like it. And, you know, I can't I can't disagree with her reasoning if that's how she feels, you know. Yeah. So it, even though it was one star, <laughs> she, she actually said, she actually said, I've never wanted I've never wished so hard that I could give something zero stars. <laughs> wow. That hurts. Um, yeah. But um, but she also admitted that she only read the first fourth of the book and she so a lot of the things she was complaining about were were things that she assumed were going to happen later in the book and that that didn't it was kind of the opposite so you know in that book i kind of set some things up uh to give the reader expectations based on their um presumed knowledge of you know batman and robin and comic books in general and things like that and then i try to pull the rug out from under them at yeah. the end and in, in, in reverse everything. And that's part of the way I wrote it. Mm -hmm. But if you only read the first fourth of the book, you're going to think, Oh my God, this is just basically fan fiction, you know? 
And did she did she say in the review that she only read that much? Yeah, she admitted she only read a fourth of it. Okay, well, at least she said that. But if you've only if you haven't read the entire, like, what's the point of leaving a review? Yeah. <laughs> I all? guess her point was was it bothered her so much that she couldn't even finish the book. I think is what she was trying to say. Huh? Did you find that that aside from that, did she make any valid points that you could look back at and go, well, I, I yeah, I could see what she's saying, or in some ways, I mean, I. Um, when I wrote the second book, I did take uh, some of that criticism into a lot of people, a lot of people, when they read my first book, they, they think, you know, well, this is similar to, you know, this character is similar to Robin. Mm -hmm. And, and I understand that because that's where I started out from was thinking, I'm going to write a book about a sidekick to a superhero. Mm -hmm. And Robin's the prototypical, you know, he's the original. Oh yeah. Sidekick, you know? And, um, and I'm a huge Batman fan, and a lot of it was influenced by, my, you know, my love of Batman and Robin over the years, you know, and reading lots and lots of comic books and and having a lot of experience in the comic book industry. Um, it was in some ways it was kind of a love letter to to Batman, you know, mm -hmm. to the yeah. to the the idea of it. But I also wanted another thing that um, that some people don't realize is that. I, even though Batman is my favorite comic book character and probably my favorite character in all of fiction, I, he's a, one of the only DC characters that I really enjoy. And that when I was growing up, I was always a Marvel fan except for Batman. Okay. So what I wanted, one of the things I wanted to do was, was kind of take the Marvel type of uh, perspective that Stan Lee kind of started and and apply it to dc characters and so <clears throat> in my mind um you know superman is superman and he dresses up in a, a disguise as clark kent to fool people but he's actually superman mm -hmm. but peter parker is actually peter parker and puts on a mask to hide to become spider-man to hide the fact that he's peter parker but that's who he really is is peter parker Right. Yeah. It's so, a reverse of, of yeah, the identity. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to write a book that was about the people and that the fact that they just happened to be superheroes rather than the superheroes who just happen to have secret identities. Right. Yeah. It's it's a whole different perspective, too, because you're yeah. that that gives the character a different basis for all of their actions, for their right. reason for doing it, for whether they're compelled or it's just the thing that they do. Like I always kind yeah. of felt like Batman was a guy that did it because he felt he had to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, he took a certain amount of uh, pride or, or glee, I guess in capturing mm -hmm. people, but I always feel like I always felt like it was something that he was compelled to do more so than, you yeah. know what, I'm going to go out tonight and see if I can stop crime. He's like, well, yeah. you know what, something's happening somewhere, so I better get out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So being being that Batman is your favorite character, and now, you know, in our youth, it was comic books. Mm -hmm. And now we've had so many different people playing Batman. How, does, how have you felt about the different uh, universes that they've created for for Batman nowadays? Um, I, I kind of like that they rebooted every once in a while because times change, you know, when they, when Tim Burton did his one in the late 90s, uh, late 80s, that was 
you know, you couldn't do the sixties thing anymore, Mm -hmm. which then, you know, they did try to do in the nineties and failed at. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I loved the Batman movie in 1989. I just loved it. Okay. So who was Batman? And that was that, uh, Michael Keaton. Michael Michael Keaton. Keaton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But when I watch it now, I don't love it as much. You know, I, I, I still love it nostalgically, but there's, it's still a little campy for me and stuff. And, uh, and I, and, and I, then I, I really loved, uh, the dark Knight. you know, Batman begins in the dark Knight with Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I felt the same way and, you know, like 10 years later, it's kind of, I watch it again and I still really like it, but I don't love it as much as when I saw it, you know? So, you know, well, I think too, I, I think Christian Bale was probably the best person to personify my idea of what Batman is because mm-hmm. the way that he kind of, you know, he always plays these extreme characters. Yeah. And I think that he was the most isolated personally of all the Batmans mm-hmm. in the movie yeah. series. I agree. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But I, I think the one that, that insults me the most and I enjoy it on just, if I just watch it for the entertainment, this is a campy, cheesy movie. I can do it. But if I try to take it even slightly seriously, and this is not a knock on any of the actors, it's the story I had a problem with was the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. It's yeah. (laughs) And I feel bad for George Clooney because it wasn't his. I don't blame him at all. Yeah, no, not at all. Dealing with what he was dealing with. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it was a tough sell. Yeah. Batman and Raman was my least favorite movie of all time. I mean, literally, there are were worse there are worse B movies and things, but they don't horrify me the way Batman and Robin did. <laughs> I don't think that, that, yeah. that uh, Chris O'Donnell and Clooney really had that kind of chemistry that I would have hoped. No, for. no. I mean, I think he was too old for Robin and I think he mm-hmm. didn't embody the character at all. Again, it wasn't his fault. I don't think. I, I yeah. Think it was... I, it's you, you got to work with what you've got. I yeah. think the problem I had with the, the Schwarzenegger movie was that, I, I didn't I didn't dislike the storyline. It was just it went so far into the cheesy dialogue, the it, it got so ridiculous the 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 way that they moved, like you know, driving on the ice, uh, the stat down the statue and all that. I think it just pushed the limits a little too far for me. And then when he freezes the uh you know, the room when he goes to steal the big diamond and he freezes that that dinosaur statue and it screams. Yeah, I'm like, it's first of all, it's a statue. And <laughs> yeah. second of all, it's frozen. There's two reasons for this thing not to be making any noise right now. Yeah, Joel Schumacher was really going for the eight for the 60s campy Adam West type of thing. The yeah. modern version of that. And it was just failed. It failed because he was doing that. And it also failed as that. As yeah. Well. So it was doubly bad for that. So the one thing that I think that they they did a great job on in that movie, and I want to say only that movie, was that you really did feel for the villain's character at certain mm-hmm. times. You know, yeah, I, I think that says more about the character than about <laughs> anything in the movie, though. I mean, that's yeah. the story of of Mister Freeze. You know, true. That's that's you know, it's a tragic story. Yeah, and he's and and when he's well written in the comic books, it's excellent, and and in the in the animated series, it's excellent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just have to wonder, you know, looking at Schwarzenegger's career, he's played in some pretty great movies and some that were not great. I mean, he's really taken a lot of chances in his career doing movies like yeah. Twins and the one where yeah. he gave birth and you know <laughs> that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. 
but but I have to say, I have to wonder when he read this script, was it like, I don't care, I want to be in a Batman movie? Or did, was he really taken by the character? Like, I really have to wonder what his motivation for that, for, yeah. for doing that was. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, he may he may have liked the old Batman series in the 60s and thought that they were going to do that and thought it was fun, you know? Well, that's true. Because when you read something on the page and what it turns out to be in the end, especially when you're dealing with a heavily graphic movie mm-hmm. uh, i don't mean graphic in like the blood way but just like there's yeah. the stunning environments and the things that that they make for gotham city uh you really don't know how it's going to turn out you can make assumptions and you know the even the way you film it you can go okay this is going to be great but then the way they edit it it's not the movie that you thought you were making right so it's easy for me to sit back and look at the end result and go you know what was he thinking when what he yeah. agreed to might not be at all what i see yeah Right. You know, so I have to be fair about that. Um, But I think it's cool that they did it. I mean, I love the the graphic side of it, though, the stunning environments for Gotham City. I don't know who has all this money (laughs) in in their universe. You know, I don't know how that happened because it seems like it's mostly a bunch of, you know, middle class and poor people and like five really rich people. That's about it. You know, Um, so that. Yeah. So I'm glad they are they doing it anymore. Do you know? Uh, ben Affleck was supposed to do a Batman movie. He was supposed to write, direct, and star in it, or, or I think maybe co-write and direct and star in it. And, and I think he was he Batman and Superman and Justice League turned out so bad that he just decided to dump the whole thing. Yeah, I didn't. So, I didn't see uh, Batman versus Superman. Yeah. After watching Man of Steel, I couldn't get myself to care mm-hmm. because I just thought yeah. that that was it, what it taught me about these kind of movies. And and tell me if you disagree. But I'm watching these long, drawn-out battle scenes, and I'm like, it doesn't matter what they're hitting each other with. It doesn't yeah. matter what they throw each other through, because you can't really hurt each other. So what is the end game of any of these battles? Yeah. Right, right. You know, and and they yeah. and it was so long. God, that movie was 72 hours. <laughs> I like it. It did. So when it when I saw that man is or uh, Batman versus Superman was coming out, part of me went, I want to know what Affleck is like as Batman. And then mm-hmm. the other part of me went, but I don't want to sit through this. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to wonder because Man of Steel got a lot of bad reviews. I yeah. have to wonder how much of that hurt uh, Batman versus Superman before it even started. It certainly didn't help. Um, but Batman versus Superman had its own problems. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I just I, I always love that uh, interview where they focus in on the, the sad. Yeah. <laughs> And, and of course, you know, the uh, I can't think of the guy who plays uh, Superman, but um, he's just he's all excited. And then there's Ben Affleck mm-hmm. who's just deflating before your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a really good director. So yeah. and writer, I mean, an Oscar winner winning screenwriter. So, yeah, you know, he he knows the material is not there. And he's a really good actor, too. And I think that uh, he's one of those people that can just fill a lot of different roles and be very good. Mm-hmm. In it. But it's like you said, you're working with what you're given. And there's yeah. only so much you can do. And so much of it is out of your hands. I didn't mind him as Batman. I mean, he wasn't my favorite, but I didn't hate him as Batman. He was, certainly wasn't the worst part of those movies, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. What What's your stance on Val Kilmer? He just did the one movie, I think. <clears throat> yeah, he, you know, I thought he was all right for, again, what he was given. Um, he, he At the time, he was my favorite actor mm-hmm. um, after Tombstone and... and 
Oh yeah. A couple other movies he was in. Yeah, he was my favorite in The Doors, yeah. After The Doors oh, and Tombstone, yeah. he was my favorite actor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of liked to see him as Batman. He didn't, you know, he didn't knock it out of the park, but Right. Yeah, it was good. And I I like I thought he and uh, Kim Basinger had some good uh, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think. Oh no, it was uh, um uh oh, who was married to Tom Cruise? Um the British lady. Uh, um <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I thought that they had some really good chemistry that they were they were believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that movie's all right. Yeah, Val Kilmer though. I think my favorite role of his was probably Heat. Oh, that was good. I just wish he would have been really in it good. more. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely some good stuff. But yeah, I I could see being a, a Batman fan, and uh, uh, you know, the comic books you really kind of write him a little more yourself. You kind of develop mm-hmm. who he is more on your own than you do in the movies because you have yeah. to fill in a lot of the blanks. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's nice to see things on the screen too, yeah. You know, uh, so getting to to more into the Red Raptor series though, so this is really sort of a young adult, almost a coming of age time when this particular story starts, wasn't it? Kind yeah. of like I kind of felt like it, it brought me back to some of my like you know maybe middle school crushes uh-huh. in that area because he kind of yeah. falls in love a little bit while he's learning to to be a superhero. Yeah, yeah, I had that in there. Um, I wanted to have a little bit of romance but not go overboard i didn't want to make it the central part of the story is it a hard thing to balance that because you have to have enough elements in there to make it a a part of the story Mm -hmm. but not so that overshadows well it was a little bit difficult to balance but uh, you know mostly to be honest i was just channeling my 16 year old self (laughs) and thinking about the way i felt right and it you know, as long as I can remember that stuff and, and, and try to write in the voice of myself at 16, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's fairly successful. Now, you have uh, two stories out in the Red Raptor series now. Yeah. Is there going to be a third, do you think? Yeah, the third one is the one that um, I'm working on with uh, the other author. Oh, so okay. Oh, okay, good. It, yeah, it's it's uh, my my half of the story is from Red Raptor's point of view, mm-hmm. and then his is from his character's point of view. Uh, based on the original short story he wrote. Okay. And do you do you see any of the other characters that you... Because they're all strong characters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see any like spinoff series with any of the other people? Uh, definitely. Um, I've actually written a couple of other short stories that have been published in other anthologies um, of other characters. So a Black Harrier, uh, who's his mentor, <clears throat> uh, has a story in one anthology... And then the the villain uh, Piero um, has a story in another anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another friend of mine who's an author um, actually wanted to write in my universe also. Wow. Uh, no- Noel Martinez, and he um, basically did the same thing as uh, as uh, Steve did, and he. Uh, wrote a short story based on my characters that takes place in the future. And now he's working on a novel and he's uh, more than halfway done with it, I think. And that'll be, that'll be the fourth book will be his, his novel about these characters when they're older. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm really excited about it. I I really like the idea of these anthologies because for the reader, you can get a lot of good material for a really good price and if, you know, a couple of the stories are duds, it's not a big deal because you're bound to find at least three or four things that you're probably going to like. Yes. Um, and it seems like the sci-fi genre and the paranormal romance genre are really big into these series or these sort they of are. box sets. 
Yeah, they are. They are. And it's great because if, you know, if you have, uh, you could gain fans from, you know, fans of the other authors that might read your story and go, Hey, I like this guy too. And then kind of like, Oh, I want to see what else he's done. Yeah. Yeah. It always increases my sales, uh, not just from people discovering it, but also crossover. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it, I, I would imagine that anytime that you see an opportunity, it's like, Hey, sweet, let's get in on this if I can. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love being part of it. I love working with other writers. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about going into like the horror genre or or are you really wanting to stick with sci-fi and superhero for now? Um, I actually have a, a horror anthology. It's not, uh, it's kind of horror. I should say (laughs) it's not, there's got, there's some horror stories in it. Um, that, uh, it's a book called Trace Puercos. It's an anthology of all my own stories that I, that I wrote. Um, and, uh, it's the first story in there is, um, it's the three little pigs, uh, from the, from the viewpoint of the big bad wolf, but it's a crime, um, kind of a crime story, (laughs) adult crime story. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it, it, it's, it's in the, a little bit of the same voice as the bounty hunter stories I did, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's in first person. I think, yeah, I think I did in first person. It's hard to remember now. It was years ago, but, um, yeah, there's some horror stories in there and I did, a um, there's a, there's a monthly anthology that I love called tales from the canyons of the damned. And, um, I've had a couple stories published in that and what, and they're, they were both along the horror lines. One is sci-fi horror and the other one is, is actual horror. It's a Halloween story about a, a serial killer. Nice. Well, we all know that I'm into the horror stuff. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely not been shy about that. In fact, I just yeah. uh, I just approved the mix, and I and then last night uh, I approved the final final mastering and rendered the final files for the uh, the last Haunted Holidays album. And oh, cool. uh, you know, it's it, it's funny that this time of year when I'm already seeing Christmas decorations out. And it's still 108 degrees here in Nevada. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> that, that I'm thinking about the you know trying to recreate those uh, those emotions for the the holidays for uh, me. Uh, I always have to write this stuff in the in the summer, and um, mm-hmm. it's it's really hard to recreate the atmosphere when you're trying to work on something. Is there anything that you uh, do to try and inspire that atmosphere that you're working in, or do you just kind of sit down and the rest of the room doesn't really matter? A lot of times I'll listen to music um, and it'll, it'll inspire me. Mm-hmm. Um, s- sometimes I, I just sit in, in, in the quiet just with my own thoughts, but a lot of times I'll put on mute on music. So if I'm writing the red Raptor books, I'll put on some, you know, superhero theme mm-hmm. music. Um, I'll just put on Spotify and there's lists that people have already made that have like the Avengers theme, Batman sure. theme and all that stuff. And uh, that that helps get me in that mindset. And there's so much to choose from now with all the movies that have come out. I mean, just the Avengers movies alone. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, a lot of times I'll listen to, and then I'll just listen to songs I like. I'll Mm -hmm. put a playlist on and listen to some stuff that I enjoy and it helps get the juices going. And uh, uh, one of my first stories was uh, inspired by a song, um, uh, that was actually in the movie Heavy Metal, um, uh, Veteran of the Psychic Wars. Oh, yeah, by Styx. Yeah. Uh, no, song. by Blue Oyster Cult. 
Oh, Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, why do I always yeah. think that sticks? That's a great song. In fact, when we were in Jokers, we were covering that. We tried it a couple times, yeah. didn't we? Uh, I think we played it. I don't think we ever played it live. Like, yeah, I don't think so. But I remember, yeah. I remember doing it at rehearsal. Yeah, it, it's an awesome song. Yeah, it is. So I, uh, I uh, wrote a story based on that uh, that song. My my thoughts on what that song was about. Oh, sweet. And, uh, What's that called? It's called. Uh, I'm gonna have to go back and look real quick. Um, it was in the first anthology I was ever in. Um, that's such an amazing feeling, isn't it? Though to to that, <laughs> oh, especially yeah. that first one when you because it validates you a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's in a it's in uh, an anthology called The Artifact, and. It's called Tenacity. Cool. I will have to check that out. That's such a good song. I'll be very curious to get yeah. your take on that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny when I was about halfway through the novel, because I've written the full draft and it's, it's uh-huh. been in editing for a while. But um, yeah. when I was about halfway through, I realized what I needed to do to do the ending. And I had picked a, a selection of songs from the show Lost to oh, be nice. the music that I would listen to while I was writing the last uh, the last bit of the book. And, and it worked great, but it was really emotionally a very difficult thing to do. Uh-huh. And, and I remember I'm like, like I'm, I'm literally got tears streaming down my eyes and I'm trying to type and I can't even see the screen anymore. And I wow. had to go back and edit so much because the typing was just terrible at that point. <laughs> but, to, but to get in that right, you know, it's kind of like putting a candle on in the room to get that right atmosphere yeah it's you know those are those are some great tools that we can use to to do that yeah and i think about guys like edgar Allan poe who basically had silence yeah yeah (laughs) right (laughs) yeah of course i don't have to write with a quill pen though so yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) just like how many times do i have to write the raven yeah But that's cool. Yeah. No, I'm I'm really excited for you, and I'm really excited about this uh, this new Gravity City book. I think that the it's I I just think people are going to love it when they when they see it. It's so stunning. Thanks. I wish you guys the absolute best, and uh, we're going to have some links for you guys in the show notes. But uh, man, congratulations! You've accomplished a lot. You've written a lot of stuff, and uh, yeah, you, you've, you've had a lot of stuff in anthologies, and you've been published. I mean, that's it. Just shows that you're not some guy that just likes writing. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> but but it takes putting yourself out there so that people would even know to reach out to you in the first place. If you never did yeah. that, and I feel like like some of the greatest stuff that's out there is stuff that's never going to be seen because people are too afraid to take that step. Absolutely, that's what I tell my students. You know, no one's ever going to know if you don't put it out there. Exactly, and just throwing it out there isn't going to do it either. Like you got to let people yeah. know it's out there. You could have yeah. the greatest piece of art on the internet, and if people don't know it's there, they don't know to click on a link to get to it or search for right. it. Right, it doesn't matter that it's there. Right, but I think a lot of people that are artists, and and I I suffer from this too, is that I just hate the marketing side of it so much. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> it is that I'm like I'm just going to put it out there, and people already know me. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, you, that's what you think. <laughs> right, but it does not work. Nope. And, and and there's proof of it. Every time that I just put a project out there and don't, you know, and I'll maybe put a Facebook post or Pinterest or whatever, and it nobody cares because nobody right. knows about it. Right. So my suggestion to people is don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Be prepared for whatever feedback and just remember that that's coming from 
whoever's opinion based on whatever their thoughts are. Yeah. Listen to what they have to say, decide whether it, it means anything to you or not, and either make modifications or don't. Yeah, that's it. And and just keep pushing because it's an endless thing. We're never going to stop being creative because that's just what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine not doing it. It's just, <laughs> yeah. just so antithetical to who I am. It's, it's funny. Whenever I think about what would I do if I ran out of ideas for <laughs> things to create, whether it be a book or a song or whatever. And I always picture, you know, in, in Harry Potter, I think his name was uh, Aragog, the spider. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's dead and he's upside down with his legs just up in the air. Like, that's how I picture myself. If I ever, <laughs> if I ever stopped yeah. <laughs> being creative, I might as well just do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so before we go, is there, is there something that, is there something that would like be something that you would love to try, but you've just never really connected with it as far as writing goes? Um, a couple times I've tried to write a Western Hmm. and I don't know why it just didn't work. Um, I've written some steampunk stuff that takes place in the old West, mm-hmm. but uh true Western so far. I haven't, haven't gotten to, but I do want to. Yeah. Where did steampunk come from all of a sudden? It just was like there. Um, I think it was, it was big uh, with books for quite a while before Hollywood caught on. And then that's when most people found out about it was, you know, Mm-hmm. when the with recent hollywood movies that take place that in that genre but yeah i, I i'm definitely one of those people because i had yeah. literally no idea that that even existed and then all of a sudden yeah. i started seeing these really weird goggles and hats and goggles yeah. attached to hats and it's <laughs> like what the yeah. hell is this well it's kind of yeah uh, it's mostly alternate history stuff or some of it takes place in the future oh okay uh, a lot of it's a lot of it's alternate history um you know what if we had this technology in the Victorian age or whatever. Oh yeah. You know, I think you could do a lot of that with Egypt too. Mm-hmm. I would think yeah. was, was wild, wild West. The, uh, the Will Smith movie, was that kind of the first introduction to it? Because it, it, from what I recall, there was maybe some of that kind of, those kind of artifacts. Um, or am I actually, just off? no, y- yes. Uh, wild, wild West was definitely a steampunk movie, but so was the old TV show. I mean, a lot of people retro. I mean, the the idea of steampunk didn't come around, I think, until the '80s when they actually started naming it steampunk. Oh, okay. But there are there are some precursors to that, and a, a Wild Wild West is generally considered to be an, a very early steampunk thing because they they did have you know that train and all those gadgets and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. That's that's what I was picturing in my head. So I'm not crazy. Nope, not at all. Well, at least not with regards to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't speak on anything else. yeah (laughs) well chris man thanks so much for coming on the show man it's been it's always great to talk to you and uh glad we got to hang out some when i lived in cali Mm -hmm. and uh you know we'll we'll definitely keep in touch but i'm i'm very impressed with the work that you've done there's nothing i've read of yours that i haven't looked back on and said i really enjoyed that well i love all your stuff too thanks and Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It was really fun. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, keep us posted on the the release of the the new Gravity City series. And uh, I think it's going to be great. People are going to love it. Yeah. Thank you. If they're not, they have no salt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <Probably> <laughs> Take care, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. You too. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye.
Yeah, 30 years, man, 30 years of friendship. That is a very, very long time. And I realize I've known Travis uh, just as long because I met him, I think the week that I got, uh, at the week I got the job or the week uh, we started rehearsals, which was, I think the week after I, I got the gig. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a long time for, for both of those guys and uh, very grateful for those friendships. I'm so honored to know so many just amazing people who happen to also be incredibly talented. And thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Please remember to leave feedback, ratings, all those good things that help other people find the show. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you with our special episode in a couple of days. 